0: Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hello, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. Tonight's episode is a recording from our most recent live event held at Calvary Mac on September 19th. The speaker was Nora Peacock, and the event was unlike any story night we've ever had because Nora happens to be an interpreter for the deaf. When we originally planned her event, she said she could sign during three songs, two of which she was gonna sing herself and the other would be performed by Megan Ashton. We thought this would be such a special treat for the guests, but didn't actually think anyone would need the sign language in order to understand the words. However, right before going on stage, Nora learned that a precious lady sitting in front did, in fact, need the sign language. So, Nora decided she was not only going to sign the lyrics of the songs, but also every other spoken word of the entire event, including her story. As you listen, you'll notice her slow down at points in order to spell out a word or or complete the signing, It was truly remarkable to watch her, and so if you'd like to watch the video version of this event, the link is available for you in the episode notes. Otherwise, please enjoy this audio version of Story Night featuring Nora Peacock, as we skip over the introduction and pick up with the opening song by Megan Ashton.
1: Joy was found it be known that in you alone my joy was found.
2: you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share tonight. It's really, really a blessing. Well, my heart's desire tonight is that you would see Jesus in front (laughs) and let me be behind. And I want to uh, share this song that's called Touch Through Me. Just a little louder, thank you.
3: Touch through me, Holy Spirit. Touch through me. Let my hands reach out to others. Touch through me. There's a Hmm. Um.
2: I'll sit for a minute. We're going
0: to give you a break. Yeah. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. And, you know, I just love uh, Nora's wish was that just like she said, it's not about her. It's about the Lord. And how amazing that he created a language through our hands. And just so neat to watch that. This, that's This is a new thing for story night. So thank you so much for bringing this. And yes, we want to let her sit down for a moment. I have to to give her just a little extra break. Let me tell you a quick story of how we found Nora. So Sandra actually has been doing the Christian Writing Group, as I mentioned. And every time a guest author comes to speak to the group, she gives them the opportunity to share their story on the podcast. And so we've done that with several authors. And most of them I just record over Zoom edit, publish it on the podcast. Some of you listen to that. And in this case, Nora drove over to record in person and I finished editing it and I was just about ready to publish it on the podcast. And all of a sudden had this thought of, you know, she lives close enough to just drive over here. Maybe she would want to do this live. She mentioned she's a singer and gosh, she interprets. That would be kind of cool. And so then I very nervously reached out to her. So now that we've done all the work of recording it for the podcast, do you maybe want to just scratch that and uh, do this live and sing and sign? And she said yes. So <laughs> thank you so much for that, Nora. Well, I would like to invite Sandra up because Sandra's the reason we found Nora in the first place. And she's going to tell you a little bit more about Nora before we hear Nora's story.
4: Thank you. I'm a writer, so I wrote it down. (laughs) Good evening. My name is Sandra Bensman. I attend church here at Calvary Mac. And if you've seen me on Sunday morning, you've probably seen me surrounded by a bunch of little people, my my children. I've led women's Bible study here up until COVID when I had to stay home with my kids. And now I head up the writing group, as people have said. If you're involved in the writing community at all, you might know me by my pen name, Annika Klanderud. I write young adult futuristic fiction and writing is actually how i met nora and i think maybe it was probably 5 or 6 years ago that i first met her when i was going to my first writing group finally bold enough to to venture out and try it and i tell you the one at that time i think i probably had 10 kids but the thing that really shocked me even me when they introduced me to nora was that they said she had raised seven children and i just believe. Actually, I think the number was bigger because I think that they had had included a a lot of the children that she had welcomed through foster care into her home. She and her husband had welcomed. So Nora and I both adopted through the foster care system. And really, over the years, I've gathered so much of her advice and just tucked it away in my heart. Nora, honestly, a lot of your words have helped me through some very difficult times. So thank you for that. (laughs) Well not easy to raise children, (laughs) as many of you know, but I consider Nora to be one of my mentors in life as well as in writing. She teaches by example, and she was one of the first people to actually take my writing seriously. I would go to the writing group, and I would read a chapter of my work about a future America where just this massive flood would come in and destroy everybody that my main character knew, his whole community, and She would not laugh. Thank you for that. She didn't sit there and tell me how that storyline was very implausible. Instead, she gave me just critical advice, um, stuff that helped, like, well, what did the floodwater sound like? Or uh, how did that tragedy affect your, your character? Things like that that were really helpful. And she always knew just how to encourage me and all the other writers in the group. Nora is an encourager. But the greatest encouragement, Nora, that you have ever given me regarding my writing was when you cried along with me as I read the final chapter in my first book that I will never forget. She's just such a genuine and honest human being. And she taught me that true holiness... What are you doing?
3: <laughs> it's
4: hard to say. You it's <laughs> Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, she taught me that true holiness is in the everyday, in the things that are overlooked because they seem so normal. But in reality, how many of us are actually doing the things that God asked us to do? She taught me that when you're living a godly life and when you're doing it right, you just go along, dropping seeds, changing lives as you go, and most of the time you don't even realize that you're doing it. Nora Peacock is a Christian fiction author. And let me tell you, she knows her stuff. She's published two novels. Her first novel is called Promises, and the second novel is called Released, and it's a sequel to that novel. Stop me if I'm wrong. No, you're <laughs> um, <right. laughs> she took the Silver Award at the Oregon Women's Report for an article that she wrote, and in 2014, her book Promises won her a Cascade Award through Oregon Christian Writers. Nora writes fiction, but she would be the first person to tell you that there's no such thing as mindless entertainment. As Ursula K. Legwin once said, there have been great societies that did not use the wheel, but there have been no societies that did not tell stories. Stories are not just for entertainment. God created each one of us with a deeply rooted need for story. So we don't turn to story in order to escape reality, as so many people think. Instead, we turn to story in order to navigate our own reality. And tonight, we look forward to learning from your story. Nora Peacock.
2: Thank you, Sandra. Where'd you go? There you are. Thank you for that introduction. That was so, so nice of you. Thanks. And I really, really respect this lady, i <laughs> tell you what. <laughs> you know, all the wonderful kids she has, that's just awesome. <laughs> I want to start with prayer, calm my heart, <laughs> and just want to share with you things that Jesus has done for me. And you, you know what? I'm going to give you an experience right now about deafness. Deaf people pray with their eyes open. (laughs) So, if you're comfortable, you are welcome to pray with your eyes open. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Jesus, for tonight. Thank you for this opportunity to share how wonderful you are, how faithful you are, and how you take care of us in every situation. So, Lord, I ask that you would be front and center tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. I grew up on a dairy farm, and I learned at a very early age how to milk cows, <laughs> and my my dad was from Texas, and he rode, the, you know, the horses and the, the cows, and he was in rodeos, and you know what? Oh, oh yes, thank you. Okay. See, <laughs> I need help. Thank you. <laughs> this is a cake I did for my niece, and it was to serve 500 people. And um, it, it took me about a, a week to do it, <laughs> and I lived to, t- to tell about it. <laughs> and um, so it was lots and lots and lots of fun, and I won't take time to... Tell the story of how he got that thing inside the building without destroying it. <laughs> um, so anyway, I grew up on this 450-acre dairy farm. My dad did not own it; he managed it. So it was a, it was a beautiful place, beautiful mountains off in the distance, and we had a lot of fun because we had a donkey that would welcome. My sister and I home from school, you know the, the yellow bus would pull up, and that, that donkey would start braying, however you sign that. I don't know, but just making all this noise when we would show up on the, the school bus or when we left. It was really, really fun. We had go- goats that would chase us onto the porch we like to catch frogs and it was just kind of a fun we had to, you know a fun place to live but also sometimes kind of scary because we had a bull a bull that would that chased me under a, a fence one time and it was like oh. <laughs> but I I loved living on the farm. But it was also kind of a, a, a dangerous place. I had one bro- brother. I, I have now one brother, two sisters that are living. But I was preceded in death by two sisters and one brother. And this is my brother, Clifford, who's in the, the wagon. He, he was killed in a, a tractor accident on the farm. And just probably after that picture was taken, And so that was really, really a very difficult, painful thing. And my mother was the best mother any kid could have. But in her sorrow, in her grief, the the boys had been told before to not go to the neighbors on the tractor. But, you know, kids are kids, and sometimes they don't do what they're told. How many know that? (laughs) And so... They went there, and the tractor turned over. It flipped, and, and, and Clifford was killed at that time. And in my mother's sorrow, she said to me when, one day, while she was kind of laying in her bed and just really, really hurting, and she says, that's what happens when kids don't do what they're told. She would not hurt me for anything, but it was just her sorrow that was speaking that day. So about that time, a boy named Dennis was walking on some logs in a river, and he fell between the logs, and he drowned. He drowned. It's about the age of my brother. And then about that time, a man who worked on the farm climbed into this kind of this bucket thing on the tractor, and it raised up and to an electrical line up here, and somehow he touched it, and he was killed. He was uh, electrocuted. And so those three things happened really close together. And so it kind of made me feel like what my mother said was really, really true, that if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you will maybe die. So it kind of set me up for... Performance mentality, measure up. If not, maybe you'll die. So, and I, I could not, as a, as a child, told you that. But I think in my heart, that's what happened. Around this time on the farm, I, I experienced sexual molestation, and that that experience was not something kids did not talk about sex when they were growing up. Most kids did not you know, that was, I'm 71, okay? So, you know, that was forever ago. <laughs> I I didn't tell my parents. They died not knowing anything about this, but I, I was guilty of one thing, and that was trust. I trusted people, and I was just a, a little kid. I didn't know about sex, and so it just confused me, but I didn't know how to explain that. And so then during my teen years, we began moving a lot. I grew up on the farm, which that was really good for the most part. It really was. Some bad things happened, yes, but wonderful things happened too. About age 12, my dad lost the job there. I'm not sure it's because of his alcoholism or if it's because the whole herd of cows, about 100, died from TB. And it probably, you know, I was a kid, I didn't understand all this, but it's probably destroyed the, fin- the financial picture. And maybe that's the reason he lost the job, I don't know. But we began many, many moves. But I had an accepted Jesus as my savior at about age six or maybe seven. And my older sister, old enough to be my mother, she had a son three years older than me. (laughs) I was born an aunt, (laughs) and she brought me to church. And through that, I experienced Jesus. And it was very, very real. I was young, yes. And my understanding was very, very young, yes. But it was very, very real. To this day, I'm so thankful for that. But later, in my teens, I went to a youth camp. And it was so wonderful. I experienced Jesus in a new way. And um, I'd say a more mature way. That I understood more about him. And that experience with him carried me through so much that I will tell you about tonight. My first vocal solo (laughs) was a song called Have Faith in God. And this was so, so good because I was trembling like this and I was whispering. You couldn't hear me hardly. I was just Terrified singing. I thought I was going to pass out and die and throw up and all of that. It was terrible. But God, you again, God is so faithful and He helped me live through that first song. And every person has a first, right? It doesn't matter what you do, there's a first, and that was mine. Around age 15, an old woman. I met this wonderful man here and fell in love. (laughs) His pickup line was, okay, I'm at church and I'm sitting on a pew and he's up there practicing, I think, in a choir. And he's finished and he walks up and he sees me. And he comes over and says, what you studying? (laughs) What are you studying? And I said, kind of... Hid my head, I said Latin, <laughs> and I thought, Oh, I am really, really going to scare him away. <laughs> but I guess not. <laughs> he was in the Air Force, and he had to go to Turkey, and so my pe- my peacock was in Turkey for a year. <laughs> And before he left, we were so in love and and we said, "Okay, I want an engagement ring." So I am now sixteen. I'm really, really old. I know a <laughs> lot and so we wanted to go to the church to put that ring on. My parents did not go to church, but we lived close to it at that time, and so I could walk to it and I told him, I know a window that will not lock. And so I climbed through that window and to go inside the church because we wanted to put my ring on inside the church and pray together. Not a bad thing to do, right? Other than we broke in. Anyway. (laughs) But I did not choose a window that's like a library or an office window. No, I had to choose a window that was the nursery. (laughs) And so that that was kind of, what would you say, a a sign of things to come. (laughs) So we married and let's back up a little bit. Many of you tonight know this wonderful pers- person named Rebecca Stewart. And she died and was a, a member here at Calvary Mac. I lived with her family uh, just before Arlen went to Turkey. And I was there for several months. And they, the girls, there were five girls, and I was number six. <laughs> they became sisters to me. And that was a wonderful time, having that experience of living in a Christian home. So I I miss Becky. I still call her that. I miss her very much. But many of you knew her, and so I wanted you to know that connection. And so after Arlen was sent to Turkey, then I moved back home. But I I was engaged at 16. And then he came home in February or so of 1968. I turned 18 in March of 1968. And we married in April of 1968. <laughs> My poor parents. A wedding for 200 people planned in three weeks or whatever. Anyway, and so I was married. To, okay, turned 18. 18 in March, married in April, pregnant in May, and graduated from high school in June. <laughs> um, kind of a crazy story. My adult years, we began parenting very quickly. Nine months, three weeks, our, our first baby was born. This is a wedding picture for us, our son in the middle. Eddie is 52, and then Jim, 50, and those two are by birth. Larry, the groom, is by birth. He's 44. Corey is 43. Tiana is 45, I think. Renee is 49, and Bobby is 34. So they, they go from age 34 to 52, and that's our seven kids. So four are adopted, the, the two girls, and the boys on each end. But the boy on the right end is my, nep- my great-nephew, and the girl is my great-niece, and they are half-brother and half-sister. And so it's a really complicated family. It gets really weird because I'm aunt, great-aunt, and mom at the same time, and my sister is great-aunt and great grandma at the same time. It's just crazy, but we love it. (laughs) So I want to say that I'm so grateful our birth kids did not choose this life of foster care and adoption, but they have embraced and loved their brothers and sisters that came into the family through adoption and through foster, foster care. And then our adopted kids, they didn't, wake up one morning and say, oh, I want to be taken from my parents. <laughs> no. And so they have loved us. And we are so, so grateful. And we give them permission. If if anyone here is adopting, just I'm giving you just my experience. Give that child permission to love the family that gave them life. At the same time, they can love you. Just like your heart can expand to love one, two, three, four, five kids, however many come your way, their heart can expand to love more than one set of parents. And by by doing that, they never had to hide anything from us. They could talk about it if there was a problem. And I just know that God has used that for them to really, really love us and accept us as their parents as well. So we're really, really grateful for that acceptance. So I wanted to talk a little bit, and this is with his permission, our son, Corey. He came to us at the age of four and a half months, and he was a crack baby. And he was very, very sick and very underweight. And by one year old, he was chubby, And happy and doing well. God really, really worked a miracle in him. But later, Corey, around uh, late junior high, started developing some strange behaviors. And we didn't know what was happening. And we thought that, you know, his behavior looked like drug abuse. And so that's what we thought was happening. But we learned later that it was mental illness. The drugs made it worse, yes, but it was not the original cause of his behavior. And so it's, it's been a long journey with him. And he is so wonderful. We had some, some years that were not wonderful, They were very, very painful for him and for us. But he has given his heart to Jesus, and he's leaning on Jesus for every day. And he is working with the doctors who give him medication that helps him have not not a normal life, but a, a pretty good life. He goes to counseling, and he does everything he can do to work with his mental illness. And we're just so, so proud of him. And the reason I share that today is that if you have someone that has mental illness, please know that there's hope. Corey is our hero. He is so uh, just amazing. You know, the bigger the family a person has, the more opportunities for love and also the more possibilities that there will be loss. That has happened in my family. I've had eight nephews that have died, some from uh, car accidents, from drowning, from suicide, from SIDS, from heart defects, diff- different things. And that's, that's been so, so hard. But I'm so grateful for the time that we did have them. And we've had suicide in our family, and uh, two nephews that died from that. I share that today to tell you, do not carry shame and guilt if you've had suicide in your family. That is the person's decision, it's not yours. When that happens, they are not thinking with a normal mind and do not, please, I beg you, do not blame yourself. We worked so, so hard, especially with one of the nephews, and he still killed himself. And I can honestly say that we did all that we could do, and it still happened. So just know that you are not to blame. Do not carry that guilt. And as as with most families, We've experienced divorce in you know among the different ones and that's always hard. And our, our family now our, we have a, a grandson and I think his picture is there. this is Caleb. He is almost 18, going on six or seven as far as his emotional age. But he can sing and he loves. And my brother did Elvis for 30 years or something like that. And now he's almost 80 and he has to hang up his Elvis suit and he's given it to Caleb. And this happened just in the last few months. And he was so excited, he was almost... (sighs) Yeah, I thought he was going to faint on the floor. <laughs> so this, while he has the emotional disabilities and he has cerebral, cerebral palsy, mild, but he hasn't, he is so joyful and he's such a blessing to our family. I have uh, two nephews with autism. One is very, very severe. And one is moderate, and it, that nephew also has mental illness. I have, now we have a lot of nephews, a lot of boys, it, for real. And uh, another nephew uh, is deaf, and that's how I first be, became interested in sign language, because I wanted to know him. And um, so God brings good things from hard things again and again and again. And I've seen it so much. I'll move on now to our our foster parenting experience. The first kids we took were three kids that were neighbors. And they lived right just really close to us. And the parents were separating and the kids were going to be, for some reason, were going to be sent here, there, and yonder and lose each other. And, and lose their parents. And so it, it was not a foster care in our minds. It was just these kids we already loved. And so we went from two kids to five overnight. And we didn't have the money to support five kids. And so we had to get the state involved and, you know, for financial support. And then we had them for. A while and I said, I will never do foster care because I can't give them up. And I learned, don't say that to God that you can't do whatever. (laughs) And so he came in the back door with these kids who we had to have the state involved to have finances. Then they left. I thought I would die. But I lived to get out of bed and wipe my tears and go on to take care of my other two kids. Well, shortly after that, two more came. My nephew brought his girlfriend who was bleeding from her head and from a stepfather hurting her. And so she lived with us for two and a half years until... The two of them married, and then I also had her brother for six months, and then he went to his, his grandparents. But I learned after five foster kids that you live through the separation, and so we decided after five that, okay, we can do this. And so we were certified then by the state and continued for about 16 years Uh, doing foster care. I'll move on to um, my college years. I just have a two-year degree is all in interpreting for the deaf. Uh, A person was required to go full-time to be in the program. And so um, I had to go full-time if I wanted to study that. And so with six or seven kids, I went to college for uh, full-time and thought I would die from it. (laughs) But... (laughs) I live to tell you about it now. I just want to share a a scripture. It says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you with my victorious right hand. Isaiah 41.10 I have leaned on that verse through this quick trip. We'll go through showing you my scars. (laughs) I know people say, you want to see my scar? And I say, no, (laughs) but here you go. (laughs) And in June of 2001, I had surgery for uh, female problems and is supposed to get well in about six to eight weeks. And that was 20 years ago. Um, That left me in chronic pain. And then the next summer, I had a car accident where the, the gas pedal, it was like this. I was about to back out from my driveway and it went just like that to the floor. And my car just torpedoed as fast as it could move backwards. I said, oh God, don't let me hit a child or another car or go through someone's house. And the best thing that could happen did happen. It hit a tree. And the back bumper was inverted into a V and pushed the back seat up to the front seats. And I fractured my neck at C5 and did not put any collar on me. (laughs) A neighbor saw that we... You know, saw what had happened, offered their car for Arlen to drive me to the hospital, and thought I would get there faster than waiting for an ambulance. So that's what we did. And I think about that, and I am just surprised to this day that I wasn't, par- I was not paralyzed. Then the next year I fell, and I won't go into all the details about that. But I fell, and it was a slow fall. And I stood up, and I said, oh, that was not bad. Wrong. <laughs> I pulled and tore this nerve that goes, goes down the leg. The, the doctor said it would take about one year to heal maybe 80%. And that doctor was very, very right on. And so that leg still has problems then october 2004 i had stage 4 lymphoma after the the normal four and a half month of chemo i was better but a year and a half later it it came back stage 4 and the doctor said you will continue to fight this if you don't get a stem cell transplant so that's what happened i was in the hospital for about a month and it was it was a really hard experience, but I've been free of the cancer for now about 15 years, so I'm so so thankful. Thank you. And after that, I had bronchitis for from May to August, and the next spring, shingle, shingles. That the doctor said, I never saw, saw anything like this. <laughs> I go, thanks. It was terrible. It was, it was terrible. And it, it left me with permanent nerve damage on my right side. But God has a plan. And in every step of my life, no matter what was happening, He's been there with me. And life going forward, it says in Jeremiah, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And you know, the sickness that I had was not from God. (laughs) He did not zap me with all of this. The sexual experiences that happened to me was not from God, that was actions of men. And so I never felt a need to blame God for any of this, and I still don't. And I'm not brain dead. I remember these things, but they do not carry the sting that without Christ, they would carry. I am so, so thankful for his faithfulness to me through all of it. They tell beginning writers, and Sandra, you probably know this, that write about what you know. That really, really helps with your first efforts. It's, it's hard to write about something, something that's new, that is strange to you, and you don't understand it. But you do understand the things in your life that you've experienced. And so this first book is based, promises, is based a lot on things that have happened in my life. I will say I was never held, held up at a bank at gunpoint. I did work in a bank, but part of the s- story is my imagination, so please remember that, and some of it is true to my life. God uses everything. My nephew being born deaf, How hard for his parents. But uh, from that, I developed this interest in sign language. I've been able to use it in many, many different situations. One of these was Cliff Barrows works with the Billy Graham Crusades. And he wanted to sign, I love you, I love you. But he forgot to Put that finger up and it says, hang loose. (laughs) So he's saying, hang loose. And I'm saying, I love you. Anyway, that was, that was a, that was a lot of fun. And then the next picture was from a, a blazer game. And there are so many gifted singers and Megan today is one of them. And the only reason I can say that they, offered me the opportunity to sing for a game was the sign language. It was because I could sign the national anthem at the same time. (laughs) So that's what I did. And the next three days, I stayed in bed, frozen. I was just wiped out. Because how do you prepare yourself to sing in front of 13,000 people? (laughs) This is crazy. What am I doing here? And also, we don't don't have a picture for this, but I like to share it because I sang at the zoo for the Zoo Lights Festival. And so a short little newspaper story said, Peacock Sings at Zoo. (laughs) So (laughs) that was fun. Uh, book two, I don't want to uh, ruin it for anyone that has not read it, but it just works through the char- characters. It talks about unforgiveness, legalism, shame, and guilt, and grief, and how the different characters work through their situations. Now, life goes on, and I choose not to focus on the pain. I'm in pain 24-7 for 20 years. But I tell you what, life is good. And I have so many, many blessings. I've been married now for 53 years to this wonderful man. And I'm so, so thankful. And we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary three years ago. Now, I want to tell you also, Arlen is my knight in techie armor. (laughs) I would not write a book or anything. I would not touch a computer without him. (laughs) I am so afraid of them. (laughs) And so again, God provides. I wanted to tell you about this These two people, they were celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. And this this fairy, I don't know, what's a sign for fairy? I don't know. (laughs) Comes over to them and says, Wow, that's a wonderful accomplishment. Good for you. I want to grant you, okay, the the why. Uh, Myrtle, I want to give you your, your wish. She says, Oh, okay. I want a trip a trip on a boat, on a ship, to the Caribbean, okay? Oh, gee, sir, two tickets. There you go, two tickets, finished. Okay, sir, what do you want? Well, I really, really love you, Myrtle, but I want a wife who is 30 years younger than me. And the woman and the fairy look at each other and they go, what is, she says, the fairy says, okay, And Myrtle looks over. There's George, 92 years old. <laughs> so anyway, be careful what you ask for, ask for. So we have 10 perfect grandchildren that we love so much and love to be with. And one of my most amazing moments was when two of them came to me and said, Grandma, I read your book, and I liked it. And oh, I cried, better than a million bucks. (laughs) So I had great plans that did not happen. How many have experienced that? Great plans and they don't happen. Well, here this book saved me many, many times. The name of it is "End of the Spear." It was about Nate Saint, the, the mission, the missionaries who traveled and they were killed by the Aka Indians. The book, honest, starts at chapter five. Chapter five goes through chapter. Nine then starts again at chapter five. <laughs> and I love, I love this book. And when I bought it, the clerk said, Oh, we'll give you another one. I said, No, 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 because I know that this book is going to mean so much to me. And so I end this time together just remembering that we are all human. Things we plan maybe don't, don't happen the way we want, but God is there to be with us. He is faithful. He will not leave us. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to sing, if I can, <laughs> the song called He is Faithful.
0: thank you so much Nora you must be exhausted <laughs> you can sit down <laughs> take a break <laughs> I am just am so amazed that you were able to share your story and do two songs and sign not only everything for yourself but everybody else who's, who's been up here that is truly truly incredible we do story night because everybody has a story and you're not alone in your own story and probably a lot of you saw yourself in Nora's story, and maybe some of you heard things that you have never experienced, but it's good for us to hear that from each other so that we're not comparing ourselves to each other, we're not judging each other, and we're not thinking we're alone. I just want to thank you again for being here, and let me just pray over all of you as we end. Lord, I'm going to do this with my eyes open. Yeah. (laughs) Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for letting it happen. The way these events have been lately, we, we just never know. We don't know if we're going to be inside or outside or how it's going to be. And it doesn't really matter when little details don't work out because that's not what it, this is about. So I pray that you will be with every woman here. You know her story because you wrote it. And you know if she's in a joyful chapter or a chapter of grief I ask that whatever is going on, that she knows that she's not alone. We do this because these are real women with real stories of real hope, because you give us real hope as the author of our stories. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for Nora. Thank you for writing her story, everything that she's been through, that she's been willing to share. And we just give you this evening and ask for your hand on each of these women in your the Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.